Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, good morning, all you Rams fans out there. Be kind, the sermon's coming. Patriots fans out there. I don't know why people hate the Patriots. They don't like a winner. Let's pray. Let's pray for the Patriots. (laughs) Just kidding. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your kindness. Uh, It's so clear. We're going to see in a few minutes. You are all about kindness, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I thank you for this gathering uh, that we can come together and dig into your word. And we want to do that right now. And Jesus, uh, what an amazing opening hymn of your saving grace, your amazing love. Uh, We're trusting you're going to do all of that more in us and emerge from Ephesians 4 and 5. Just show us who you are. Grip our hearts. We want that. We love you and thank you. In Christ's name. Everyone said? Amen. Grab your Bible study notes. Hello, everybody. I'm Gary on staff here, if you've not been here for 22 years now. And um, it's great to be with you. Let me ask you a question. Thank you. That was very kind of you. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a kind person? On the surface, it almost seems like be kind to one another is rather easy. The sermon, forgive one another, would be much more challenging. No one virtually feels like they have a problem being kind. Now, you may consider yourself to be nice, but according to a new study, uh, we're probably not as nice as we think. Psychologists from the University of London, Oliver, uh, have discussed, my British friend, have discovered that 98% of people think they're part of the nicest 50% of the population. Did you get that? It's like the man sitting next to me when I was putting this message together. I happened to be in Menlo Park, and uh, there's a great coffee shop there called Coffee Bar. Highly recommend it. And there's a bar. I actually got a picture of it coming here. Uh, there's a bar. You can see the back right there. That's actually where I was sitting, uh, looking out a parking lot and uh, working on the message on kindness. And there was a man and a woman next to me, and uh, this man made a phone call to a Comcast customer service rep. Uh, and he was giving this poor person a piece of his mind. Frankly, he couldn't afford to lose. Um, he got more and more heated, and, um, and then he gave his name. And I, I mean, it was, I was here. This person was right there. I turned my computer and Googled his name. <laughs> and this person happened to be a very successful venture capitalist, managing partner in a firm, lived in a multi, multi, multi-million dollar house, Uh, in the Sand Hill area, Sharon Heights area. Um, But it just got worse and worse and worse. And I thought the irony of this, here I am studying kindness, and I have the antithesis of this next way. This person called this Comcast worker worthless with a ferocious tone, telling them what a waste of time this call had been, and then hung up. And I wanted to turn to man and say, that man and say, Thank you for emotionally vomiting on all of us here, let alone the unsuspecting person who didn't cause your problem was trying to actually help you. Do you feel better about yourself now? Uh, I've noticed in the last few years, unkindness is growing 
in our culture. Have you noticed that? You can see it on surface streets, especially merge lanes, <laughs> in crowded parking lots, in the 15 items or less food line in every supermarket. <laughs> you see it in the news and sports media, and we certainly see it on social media. And the, the irony is, and I put it on page three, it was so amazing to me, statistically, scientifically, we are much more healthy as kind people than when we're unkind. Being kind is actually healthy. God's word has a lot of wisdom around this and the unintended benefit of it, uh, I really believe obedience is always the most freeing way to live, obedience to God's word. And later on today, I'd invite you to read for yourself how healthy kindness is. What is sad is that it's just continuing to be an endangered species in our culture. By way of contrast to, um, to Comcast man next to me, I want to introduce you to a woman uh, that I came across this week called, her name's Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, she's a prolific author, and she was actually the human tool that God used to bring her to Christ, the evangelistic tool, you ready? Kindness. Uh, in her book called The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, A Professor's Journey to Christian Faith, Rosaria highlights her journey to faith. See, she chaired the women's studies department at Syracuse University, uh, and she hated Christians. She thought we were mindless. She thought uh, we were Victorian in our, um, in our values. She thought we were oppressive. And so she wrote an op-ed piece for the Syracuse University School newspaper uh, about all of that for Christians and how oppressive Christians really are. She said she received a ton of mail in response. And she categorized it by hate mail and thank you mail on her desk. But one letter came in and she didn't know what to do with it. It was from a local pastor who uh, lovingly told her, I actually disagree with you completely, but didn't do it with the, uh, with the hate that was in the other mail that would come her way. She said, I sat on that letter for two weeks and then I finally reached out to the pastor. In her words, she said it was the kindest letter of opposition I had ever received. Its tone touched her, specifically that the pastor wasn't against her, he just disagreed with her ideology. Eventually, she contacted the pastor and became friends with him and his wife. She says, quote, they talked with me in a way that didn't make me feel erased. It's powerful. Their kindness was an important part of her journey to faith. This, this pastor and his wife didn't kill her with kindness. What they did was kill her ideology, her godless ideology, her hate for followers of Christ ideology. They killed that with kindness. And God used their kindness in incredible ways. I'm wondering, how has God used kindness in your life? Think about that for a minute. How has God used the best of a human interaction to build you up, to give you what you didn't expect, to draw you or let you see the character of Christ in a way you hadn't seen it before? Think about that. Has God done that? Let's define terms. Look at the page one. Kindness, what we're talking about. 
All of these one another terms has a cultural definition, but uh, what we're trying to get at is in Christ, it should be at a whole different level. And here's what we're talking about when we talk about kindness. And the word is used all over scripture. A supernaturally generous orientation toward other people, even when they don't deserve it and don't love us in return. Kindness, if you want a short definition, is compassion in action. Compassion in action. Biblical kindness is the opposite of selfishness, and it comes supernaturally as a result of a changed heart. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians 4 and dig deeper, and let me show you how this is lived out and how we can be this. I, I just have this uh, desire to uh, be a part of a kindness revolution in our city and enter kindness into the DNA of our culture. Don't you want that too? All right, me too. Five of us want that, and we're going to do it. We're going to start the revolution. <laughs> Here's what we want to start. First thing I want you to know, it's very practical. Kindness is very practical. Ephesians 4, verse 29, look what it says. Peter read it. Were you convicted by this? Don't let, look at this. The superlatives here are convicting. Don't let any unwholesome talk. I mean, you might want to go, God, can't I just have two words? No. Any unwholesome talk there's the standard come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for the building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen in other words kindness is about meeting needs you see it in verse 29 perfectly kindness is displayed through words that benefit people Kindness is the antithesis of selfishness. It asks, what do they need to hear? That's what I give them. But look carefully at verse 29 again. It doesn't say give them or speak words, say things that please them. This convicts me. I grew up and my signature sin is to be a people pleaser. It doesn't say say what pleases them. It says say what benefits them. Do you know the difference? Pleasing them is a selfish act, really, that you would like me. Benefiting them is a selfless act, and that's the essence of kindness. It's selfless. This is where it becomes Christ-like. It's about the other person. What can I say? How can I act? What can I do? How can I serve in a way, as we'll see in a little bit, that builds them up, even if I disagree with their ideology? How do I write in response to a chairman of a department at a university that has thrown arrows through the very core essence of who I am as a follower of Christ. And even though I completely disagree with her, how do I build her up in that disagreement? <laughs> I am just telling you, that is lost in our culture today. It is completely lost. And here's what makes me most sad. It's lost in the church. We have had uh, some reverse evangelism take place where that cultural value, where I can speak my mind, and I'm just going to tell it like it is, just keeping it real, all of that is godless. Godless. We'll see that in this message today. May we never be a part of that. I am telling you, it has eroded the unity of so many churches, and it has threatened the unity in this church too. So, let's go on. Psalm 141, verse 5. Look at what it says. 
Um, it's not in your notes. Is it in your notes? It's not in your notes. Free of charge, everybody. Psalm 141.5. Let a righteous man strike me. Look at this. Even there's a sting to kindness. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. See, kindness isn't always like agreeing all the time. There can be a disagreement. There can be a pushback. There actually can be a rebuke that is done in a kind way. Uh, at the 11 o'clock service last week, I told a story of when I was first married. Both Ann and I grew up, we're the turnaround generation when it comes to Christ. Uh, we grew up in religious homes, but not Christ-following homes. And Christ got a hold of both of us as teenagers. And uh, so we come together as marriage from uh, good marriages. Uh, my parents, collectively for Ann and I, our parents', parents marriage was uh, almost over 100 years, 110 years collectively. Uh, and we're so thankful, but it wasn't healthy. And so we didn't have models for marriage, so we had marriage mentors that, um, that actually introduced us and then became our mentors in dating and became our mentors in marriage. And one time, Ann and I had a conflict, and my words just pierced her. I said, I said something uh, that I'm not even going to repeat, it doesn't matter, that, that really hurt her. And I'll never forget David Pipes sitting me down in our weekly meeting, and he said, uh, and I remember the restaurant we were at, and I thank God to this day for David Pipes. He said, did you really say, bum, 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 bum? I said, yeah. And he goes, you can't say that to your wife, ever. And if you ever say that again, you will answer to me. He was a Vietnam War vet, a Vietnam War pilot. And I'm like, oh, okay. It was like a blow, but it was done with such love. And I would even say stern kindness it didn't tell it like it is. Don't miss this. We'll get, I'll say this later in the message. It, he talked into how I could be and said, Gary, that, you're so much more than that. Don't ever, ever talk to your wife that way, ever again. He lived out Psalm 145. He struck me, but it was a kindness. He rebuked me, and it was as if oil was on my head. Romans 2.4, that uh, says this. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? How many of us can say amen because God's kind with us? Amen. Gosh. Does this mean nothing to you? That's a good question to ponder. Has it had no effect on you and on your character? Has it not made us kinder people? If we want to be godlike, Trinitarian, as we'll see in a minute, why is it we don't value this more? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you and me from our sin? His patience, his kindness has an ultimate motive that we would turn to him. Kindness is very, very practical, my friends. It builds others up. It speaks into who they can be and helps them become the best version of themselves, the version God sees who they could be. Very important. Then, look at this. It is godlike. Kindness is godlike. Let's pick this up in Ephesians 4, 32. And you remember the church of Ephesus. Maybe you don't if you're new to church or if you're necessarily not following Christ and you're just checking Jesus out. You're so welcome. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. The city of Ephesus was uh, a key city in the Middle East, 
and it gets more ink in the New Testament than any other uh, city in the whole New Testament, any other church in the whole New Testament. It had the premier pastor, Timothy, a couple letters written to his name. Paul spent a lot of time there. There's a letter to it uh, from Jesus himself in the book of Revelation. We looked at that this fall. They lacked love. They were advancing the kingdom. They just didn't love each other. Remember that, Revelation chapter 2? This is the city that Paul's writing to. And this is why he has to say, be kind to one another. Forgive each other. It would be a culture, a break from the culture of Ephesus. Just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Follow God's example. In other words, God is kind. God is forgiving. You're a Christian, which means a little Christ. So it just, it just logically infers that we should be kind. We should be forgiving because we're dearly loved children. Biblical kindness is not just giving things, not just giving compliments, advice, money, acts of service. Biblical kindness is giving yourself. And now we start to see how hard it is. Rosaria Butterfield, the Syracuse department chair, decided to write the pastor back. And the pastor had already written a letter, very well thought out, kind letter, but then the pastor understood, I have to give more than a letter, I have to give of myself. And in Rosaria Butterfield's words from her book, the pastor's name was Ken, she said, I came to Ken's house, he invited her in to his house. I came at all hours. He invited me. For two years, I was loved and welcomed by Ken and his wife, by the very people I mocked, despised, and rejected. There's simply no way I would have ever walked into a church, she says at that point. But for two years, giving of yourself, I was part of Kent and Floyd's circle. Circles are better than rows. I met with them once a week at their home. The door was wide open. Heated, genuine conversation would happen. People would speak honestly, tears would flow, but it was different because Ken was disarming. I couldn't help but go back. It was in this context of kindness that Ken brought the church to me because it was impossible for me to go to church. Isn't that amazing? In this, she has a quote and says, the gospel should always come with a house key. I love that. See, kindness is, is so godlike. Is that not what Jesus did in Philippians 2? Completely dismantled and disrobed himself of everything he was and gave completely. Kindness is a core characteristic, and you can see in the text box, of every member of the Trinity. Look at this. This is amazing. God the Father. Is he kind? Well, let's look. What does the scripture say? Luke 6.35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. Because he, that he refers to God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. That's our story. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. 
He was kind to me when I shook my fist at him. He was kind to me when I ran away from him and he pursued me. His kindness hunted me down. That's how God the Father is. And that's good news that our city needs. Is Jesus kind? Well, let's look. Titus 3, 4 to 5. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, uh, if you ever wonder if Jesus is referred to as God in the Bible, here's a verse right here where he is. Of God, our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we were done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and then the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That renewal makes you kind. Is God the Holy Spirit kind? Let's look. Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Yes, the Trinity is kind. Have you let the kindness of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit touch you enough that you can be kind to others? Let me say it this way, and grace to all of us, right? I've just been, uh, I've had the opportunity to sit in this passage for, for a week, so I've done my heart work and repenting and asking God to forgive me, so grace to all of us. What excuse do we have not to be kind? In what area, if we claim to be a follower of Christ, Do we have an excuse to be unkind? I don't find any. I don't find one. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, kindness will come out of you. If you're filled with Jesus, kindness will leak from you. If you're filled with God the Father, the Trinitarian, we are Trinitarian here, God the Father uh, who is kind to you will let kindness come out of you. It's just how it should be. Where in the world did we think we could be unkind to one another on social media? Behind one another's back. In merge lanes. In our city. Or traveling elsewhere. Kindness is practical, it's healthy. Kindness is godlike. And then look at this kindness is eternally focused. Let's pick it up in verse 29 again. Don't let any unwholesome talk uh, come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up. We'll, We'll camp out on that phrase now in a few minutes. According to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And then interestingly, Paul immediately goes to this. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now just sit in that for a minute. Out of nowhere, Paul states... The Holy Spirit is grieved. Uh, the word grieved there is, uh, is a very interesting word. Uh, in the Greek language it was used in, it was used of a word where there was uh, a, a covenant relationship. It wouldn't use the word covenant. A committed relationship where infidelity took place and the emotional state of the partner that expected commitment but experienced infidelity. The emotional landing of that That word grieve, that's the word that's used here. In other words, God the Holy Spirit is saying, wait wait, wait a second. We're committed here. And your unkindness is breaching our commitment. And it, it, it just sits in a grievous way. The word means to be shocked, devastated, hurt wounded. Can we do that to God? Everyone look right here. 
Absolutely we can do that to God. And we do every day. That's why our cross hangs central. That's why we come together at the Grace Fest every Sunday and worship God and, and celebrate his grace. And it's why we confess uh, sins to God and say, I'm so sorry, and his grace covers us. But I don't want you to reach, uh, to, to quickly go over the fact that your unkindness, my unkindness, grieves the heart of God. Oh, it's just words. No, and according to scripture, it's a lot more than words. It's just typing a response on Facebook. Oh, it's more than that, my friends. There's something supernaturally that happens. He says, the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, kindness doesn't have an ulterior motive, but it does have an ultimate motive. And here's where I want to land this and get uh, to this. The building of others up. The word building here is the word for building a house. Now think of Ephesus. I don't know if you've ever been to the ruins of Ephesus. Uh, one archaeologist called Ephesus the most impressive archaeological discovery of the whole Roman Empire. Think about that. In Ephesus was this Colise- is this Colosseum. Uh, in the book of Acts, Paul was actually brought into that Colosseum to be killed by a mob. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Um, 25,000 seats in the Colosseum. In Ephesus is the temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a football field long, half a football field wide in its day. In Ephesus was this amazing three-story library that would hold 12,000 scrolls in it. That city knew about building The main street was amazing. Uh, They had plumbing. They even had, I kid you not, heated toilet seats, they've discovered. This was a grand city. And so when Paul uses this building word, that would land on his original hearers. They would go, oh my gosh, every building has a blueprint. Every building has an intention. And Paul's going, you're right. And now I want you to think, are you with me? I want you to think of your words as following a divine blueprint. That your words are actually joining in God's blueprint, his intended blueprint, for every human being to build them up. So that on the day of redemption, you can see that there in verse 30, your words would have an effect on that day. For that day. That's the ultimate final permit granted in the building process, the day of redemption. Uh, I've read, and Ann and I are studying again, a marriage book that I would highly recommend called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. He talks about this concept, and he says this, I think it's um, by far the quote I've been living on more than any other quote for three years. So outside of scripture, what I'm about to read to you uh, is the most influential words in print in my life in the last three years. So you remember, building, day of redemption, it says this, within this Christian view of marriage, here's what it means to fall in love. It's to look at another person, get a glimpse of what God is creating, and say this, I see who God is making you, and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in the journey you're taking to his throne, the day of redemption. And when we get there, I'm going to look at your magnificence and I'm going to say, I always knew you could be like this. 
I got glimpses of it on earth. Now look at you. Isn't that amazing? Paul's saying that's what our words should do. Whether we get a glimpse of what God's doing or not, we should give words and insert words. And again, not so that people will be pleased and not always positive words. I told you about David Pipe's rebuke to me, which changed the course of my whole marriage one month in. Looking towards a day of redemption. I'm telling you, kindness is eternal. It joins God in building towards that day. My friends, everybody's living a story. Everybody is living a story. I tell my daughters that all the time. Every encounter we have, we get a glimpse into that people's story. Does our interaction, do our words build into that story towards a day of redemption, or do they erode people towards that day of redemption? Last verse, Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Paul's saying, clothe yourself with some things. What are we to clothe ourselves with? Think about this. I don't know how intentional you were before you got dressed. Thank you for getting dressed, coming to church. <laughs> I put my clothes out the night before. And then my wife checks them and makes sure it works. <laughs> but I'm very intentional about what I put on. I don't want to be too flashy. Don't want, I just want my clothes to be erased so you hear the word of God. Don't want to be a distraction. Paul's saying, Gary, why don't you be intentional also about the character you put on? Well, what are you talking about? Yes, the character of compassion. Here's our word. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. What Paul's encouraging all of us to do is when we wake up each morning, get dressed spiritually and emotionally as well as physically. Have you ever thought about that? When we wake up in the morning, decide what to wear, we should also ask ourselves, what kind of attitude, God, would you have me wear today? And my prayer for the next seven days is that you and I would say, God, as I put on, just think of a garment of clothing you put on every day. Just attach kindness to that garment. Mine's going to be my socks. And this week, as I put on my socks, I'm going to ask God, Put on kindness as well. And you just see what God does for you and in you and through you. Let the kindness quotient increase through us. Let's start a kindness revolution. Amen? Jesus, I pray that you would bring application to us. See, so simple on the surface, and yet it is so missing. So God, let it be said of us that we are kind. We are tender-hearted. We are building others up. Now, I want you to think where you've been unkind this week. Who needs an apology? When you leave this service, who do you need to call and say, you know, I, I just been in church and, man, I got convicted. I am so sorry. You are worth so much more than the words I spoke over you. Confess that kindness to God. Unkindness to God. Confess it to that person. Live free. Be kind. Pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.